You're listening to Pastor Greg Voorhees as he leads the 9 a.m. Sunday School class at Shenandoah Valley Baptist Church on Sunday, March 12, 2023. For more information about SVBC, you can visit their website, svbcfamily.com, or you can find them on all things social at svbcfamily. Everybody loving Daylight Savings? Oh my goodness. I'll tell you what, yesterday, or last night, I mean, I crashed hard. I, I went home, crashed, got up, took care of everything, and then the, about midnight, I, I forgot, I had to run over and take care of my daughter's cat, and uh, well, this week, I was kind of busy, so I didn't get, normally I send, I type up the bulletin, send it to Jeannie, Jeannie prints them off, folds them and everything. Well, I didn't get them to her. You know, so I, 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 I printed them off, and then last night I started falling asleep while I was folding them. Oh so the, uh, about, I, I got up, I got done about 2 in the morning, I thought, well, i got to get out this PowerPoint. All of a sudden it was, poof, it's 3 o'clock. I'm like, whoa, daylight savings, you got to love it. You know, so it's, uh, oh yes. We are starting at our lesson 1. I'm going to... I'm going to uh, pray, and then we're going to watch the, a video. Uh, just a quick explanation: this video, it's it's an exchange. Um, it's an exchange between a young Mary Magdalene and a guy they call Omar. It's, it's just the name they assigned to her dad. So it's uh, so it's it's between Mary Magdalene as a child. And her dad was just kind of the it was just kind of an introduction of of your chosen. Alrighty, Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. Lord, we just thank you for this time. God, we just thank you for bringing everybody together so we can learn about you and worship you. Lord, we just we just pray that we honor you in our study, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. That passage that. Where they were quoting the uh, words of Isaiah is actually Isaiah 43.1. It says, But now, thus saith the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, He who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. You know what, you know what redeem, to be redeemed means? I'll, I'll give you a little hint it's in your book. <laughs> It's a little. To redeem is to purchase back, to ransom, to deliver from chains, to rescue and restore. So when we talk about being redeemed by God, you know, what are we saying? We're saying that we are purchased by God, rescued by God. You know, so that's, that's, a, that's a pretty significant thing. So, in lesson one, there in thirty-one, basically the first part is just kind of the words of what you just watched. We're going to start looking at fear not. It says fear can be like a blob monster, always on the move, always always taking ground, because the list of things we fear is long. We fear loss. We fear failure. We fear not being loved. We fear disease. We fear loneliness, darkness. Uh, neediness, natural disasters, and bad guys. The list goes on and on into oblivion. 
So, so we, I think it'd be a pretty fair statement that say that there is a lot of fear. We do fear a lot of things. You, you know, we talk about sick. How often do we fear about getting sick? You, you know, in the, in the world of COVID, you, you know, I, I mean, there's big things. We know we're talking about cancer and stuff like that. But I mean, even even things like COVID, there's a lot of fear around catching COVID because you know it's it's scary stuff. You know, if you're over over 50 or have asthma and they had a whole list of things, I mean, it can be really really scary. Continuing to read on, it says, I have called you by name is a, is a fitting title for uh, season one, episode one of The Chosen, because no longer, because no other declaration, no other truth in this world has the power to vaporize fear like knowing and being, knowing and being known by God. Why is that? Well, truth, is, truth be told, we're simply creatures in that we were made to be in a relationship with God we're designed to uh, commune, to know, and to be known by our Creator, to interact with the world alongside Him and under His care. Without Him, we're at the mercy of the world around us and all the fear it brings. Without Him, there's a significant and um, unfillable void in their souls because contrary to the popular self-empowerment dogma of the day, uh, on their own, we are not enough. But that's okay. That's the way it's supposed to be. We're incomplete by design so that nothing but knowing and, and communing with God will fulfill us. Not really, not permanently, nor, or completely. We're incomplete, so we'll become running to the one uh, whom we, who, who, <laughs> running with the one to whom uh, we belong calls. So the thing that it's talking about here, it, it, it's it's true. We, the the dogma of the day. What is the dogma of the day? You, you know, we hear a lot of, you know, different, you know, you know, black power, women power, this power, that power. We all all these different things where, you know, but the the reality is the only true power is found in God, and you know, and and we are designed. We are designed to communicate and, and, to commu- and, and, and to be with God. You know, and this is why, if you, if you look at ancient civilizations, you, you know, think about this. You know, I, I, I'm, I don't hold to the belief that these, you know, aliens came and everybody started worshiping aliens and this and that. However, all of us, you know, there's really nothing new under the sun. That's, that's a biblical truth. So just like we have a need to communicate with God, why? Because God built that into us. Even the people of ancient days did. That's something he built in them. So they felt the need to communicate with something bigger than themselves. They felt the need to, to, to be part of something bigger so they would worship what they understood. You know, they would, instead of worshiping the, the creator of the sun, they would worship the sun. You know, so there's always this, there's always these, this thing. There's a, there's an artist called Plum. I love, I love this woman. The, but she sings a song about a God-sized hole. You know, what is a God-sized hole? It's, it's a hole that's in every one of us that, that only God can fill. You, you know, I think there's been a couple of artists that have actually made references to this God-sized hole. There's a piece 
that when we are born, we are born incomplete. We're, we're, we're missing something. And the only time that that piece is, is put back and we're complete is when we reach out and call out to God. You know, so that's, so that, that, that God-sized hole, it, it's put there for a reason. And it's the reason why people worship. You know, people that we also see, you know, God tells us that he, he writes his, his, his law in our hearts. Have we seen that in ancient civilizations that, that, that haven't heard the name Jesus? You know, there's a, there just seems to be this basic moral role amongst all civilizations about killing this bad. You, you, you know, you know, not stealing from people is bad. You know, you know why, why is it that we see evidence of this in, in, in like tribes that have no communication outside until we've come in to try to... It, it's because God has written these laws in the hearts of everyone. You know, that's, that's, that's why there's that basic understanding. Unless you factor in something like mental health or some other things, there's, it seems to be this, this code that is written in our hearts. And we see it in isolated groups of people. They, they have the same basic rules that we have. You know, it's, it's, it's not refined the way ours is, simply because we have the Word of God. We, we get to know God in a way that, that they have. But we see this all the way back through, you know, if you study, again, ancient civilizations. I, I mean, we, we see a... a you know, a, we see a structure, we see a, you know, a, a hierarchy, we see them worshiping. You know, that's because they're made the exact same way we are, to, to worship God. And, and thankfully, we were able to come into that saving knowledge of the fact that, that God is the, that hole, and only He can fill that hole. All righty, what's question one here? It says, what, what do you fear and why? And how does Psalm 139, 13 through 18 speak to your fear? So think about that while I grab my Bible. What, what is it that you fear? Does anybody want to offer up something? We all fear something. I'll throw something out there. That's something, unfortunately, many of us are experiencing right now. I fear the death of loved ones. I don't fear my own death. You, you, you know, that, that's... I told God when I was laying on that operating table, you, you know, that's, if, this is, if this is it, you know, that, that's, I'm, I'm cool with that. I, I just, uh, I'm worried about my family. Well, the... So I don't, I don't fear the death of myself. But when people, when you start losing people around you, you start worried about losing more people. <laughs> you know, that's, I've got a few animals that I, that I think are getting up in years, not, not, even my animals. I'm, I mean, so, so I guess to a degree I have a fear of death, but just not my own. Psalm 139, 13 through 18 says this, For you created my inmost being, you knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. 
All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God! How vast is the sum of them! Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. Okay, so, so, so how does knowing that play into where fears? How does the passage we just read, the fears that we have, how, how, how would that make them better, make them worse? Absolutely. We often fear rejection of other people. But as we see from this passage, the God's thoughts of us outnumber the sands of the shores. I'll tell you what, I, I'm, again, I'm a beach guy. And I'm telling you, there's a lot of little grains of sand at the beach. So that's a lot of thoughts. God's thinking about you a lot. He, he, he really, really is. Do you think that maybe, do, you th do we think that we ever struggle with feeling like we're enough? That, that we're good enough in ourselves? Well, this psalm tells us that I was fearfully and wonderfully made. So there's no one in this room or anywhere outside of this room it was a mistake. You were not a mistake. Nothing about you is a mistake. You were made for a purpose. You were made for a reason. You were made by a God that thinks about you a lot. And he's and he selected you to be one of his. That is that is like crazy awesome stuff right there. That that really really is. Psalm 139. Oh, precious to me are your, are your thoughts, O God. How vast are the sum of them. If I were to count them, they would outnumber the, the grains of the sand. You know, it just says the grains of the sand. I would take that as talking about the grains of the sand on the entire planet. You know, not just Virginia Beach or Ocean City or, or uh, my, my favorite, the beaches around Wilmington, North Carolina. <coughs> So I think if you were to count all every little piece of sand, <clears throat> and mind you, there's more sand than just what you see. It goes out. There's sand. I, I, I mean, what do you think? There's sandbars out there. It's because there's sand out there. There's a lot of sand. So, so is there any other fears we can think of? And maybe, maybe, uh, do we ever have a fear of not accomplishing enough, or being good enough, or or not doing enough, or or I think, I know that's something I struggled with. You know, here, here's the thing, my, fam my family has never put pressure on me <clears throat> to, to <clears throat> be a high-level operator. However, when you look at my family, a few of you saw them, saw them yesterday. You, you know, I've got a brother who, who, who like manages like, like tons and tons and tons of postmasters. I have a brother who's a retired physician. I have a sister who's a CPA. When she was in school, she double majored and was the top of her class in both of her majors. You, you know, so even though they never put pressure on me, 
when that's, when that's the litter that you're in, you, you put a lot of pressure on yourself. You, you know, because even if they aren't putting that pressure on me, it's almost like I felt the need to compete with that. You know, so it's just like, but again, and that was a shortcoming of mine because God made me to do something different than he made them to do something. So when we compare ourselves to other people, we're, we're really kind of missing the mark. Because God has called us to be different things. He's made us in different ways. You know, so that, that fear of, of not, you know, climbing the ladder to a certain point, you know, that's, that's, something, that, that's something that we shouldn't really struggle with because God is putting us where he wants us. So all these fears, you, you, know, you know, God has, 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 has made you that way for a reason. He's put you in these places for a reason. You know, so, so don't fear because God is with you and he really is, he really did fearfully and wonderfully make you. You're all amazing. I have to remember, I'm a science guy. If you really get into just neurobiology, it'll blow your mind the way God has fearfully and, and, and wonderfully made you. Neurobiology is just, just it's, it's, it's amazing. When you look at the, the way your body regulates itself, the hormones and all the different ways, it, 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 I, I mean, it's, it's, it's crazy. We got, what, I mean, we've even, we've even found that, and they have only realized this in the last several years, your entire body has like this little water membrane all the way around it, and, it, and it's, it's how we think that also things get tra travel through this water membrane. And the reason we don't see it is because every time that we take, like, you know, cut something, it, bur it cuts the membrane so you don't see it. But they, with special imagery, they, you know, they realize that, you know, there's even this really cool water membrane that's, that surrounds you. And it's, and it's probably how the body also helps replenish and nourish itself. And, and, and one of the things that we're looking at is, well, maybe that's some may how maybe some of the way the diseases actually get spread because it transports other things. But God has done this crazy, awesome thing, just the way he's made you. You know, my dog last last week. I mean, he wrapped himself around like Sue's dog because he was being bad. He wrapped himself around a garden flag. And I'm trying to unhook him, and he takes off and he bends the flag in three places. But the flag catches my finger and it tore my finger up. This was all, like all ripped up and really gushy, nasty looking, and it was like ugh last week. But it's, it's healing up. You know, that's a miracle. The stuff that we take for granted is a miracle. The fact that we regenerate skin is a miracle. He, you know, God has done a crazy thing with, with us. Old Testament context. The prophet Isaiah experienced fear too. And who could blame him? It says, In the year of King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon the throne, high and lifted up, and the trains of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings, with two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, with two he flew, and one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, I am lost." 
For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Isaiah 6, 1 through 5. Let's just kind of picture that, that imagery for a second. Would that be scary? I think that would be scary. If I was a people, and I am a people, and, and I was taken to a place where I saw these, these seraphim, these six-winged things, flying and, 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 and smoke filling the rooms and all this, this, this weird stuff, and we... What we see later on, we see that they, one takes the coal and hot coal and he touches his lips. And, you know, the, that's, that's some scary imagery. And I think when the, the voice, the voice of the Lord of hosts spoke, I mean, it just, it just, just rumbled the place. I mean, it was just like there's just so much power. God had just so much power that his very voice was shaking the foundations. That would be scary. I'd be sitting there thinking, you know, he's sitting there, oh, woe is me. I'm, in the, I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live amongst the people of unclean lips. I'll be, I'll be sitting there thinking, oh, my goodness, am I getting out of here alive? <laughs> you know, that, that, that's, us. oh, my goodness. That's, that's scary imagery. So I could see why he would have fear in this situation. You, you know, of course, his reference, this reference of being a man of unclean lips, I could imagine there was fear, too, because he was recognizing his own unholiness and he was getting that he was in the presence of something absolutely holy. You, you know, the seraphim, holy, holy, holy. You know, we talked about that. Why is that so important? Holy, 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 saying it three times. In, this, in their language, the more times that you repeated something was adding more and more emphasis. If you repeated something three times, you were making a point. So the seraphim was making a real point that God is absolutely holy. You know, that this was, so, so, so yeah, but if I was a man of unclean lips and I was in the presence of absolute holiness, you, you know, that, that, would be, that would be an unnerving thing. I'd feel a little uncomfortable. Isaiah was doing whatever normal things he was doing when all at once he was in the presence of the king of the universe, along with angelic feet, or, uh, figures, who were chanting praises in earth-shattering voices. And Isaiah hit the proverbial deck because um, of not only was the experience terrifying to the senses, but in every way possible, but it also made him acutely aware of his own moral failings. God is holy, and Isaiah felt uh, despairingly unworthy in his presence. But at the same time, Isaiah's repentant heart was acknowledged Forgiveness was extended, and Isaiah got off the proverbial floor, or maybe he got off of the actual floor, and he responds, and he responded by saying yes to God's will. Switching over to 34, it says, And here's the takeaway. Isaiah wasn't called by God because he was worthy, and he wasn't, and he knew it. Moreover, God warned Isaiah that the message he would preach to the nation of Israel would fall on deaf, unresponsive ears. But that God would persist speaking love over his chosen people and declaring them his own before they agreed to be. In other words, Isaiah was sent to a nation of Israel where they were all sinning toward, rebelling against, and rejecting God. 
which means God's message was delivered by unworthy Isaiah to unworthy people of God's own choosing. Are you sensing a theme? I can't even imagine. I can't even imagine what was going through Isaiah's mind. I got this word for you. Do we see other, do we see other prophets where this, this has been a thing? He told Jonah, I got a word for you to go deliver to his enemy. That was even, that was even, that was even crazier, I guess, in a way. God was calling Isaiah to speak to his own people. Even though that they were resisting God and, and, and they weren't going to listen to him. But Jonah, I go preach against Nineveh. Moses, go, go, to, go to Pharaoh and say, let my people go. I guarantee you that would have been a little unnerving. Especially since, you know, if you, if you watch the... If you watch the old classic, The Ten Commandments, and it's like every other Christian drama, there's things that were added in, you know, and just like the chosen things were added in, kind of explanatory things, things that common sense, the one common sense thing that was there, and it would have been very true, is Moses and Pharaoh would have been like this at one point, because they would have grown up together. You know, whether or not... I don't know. So we're looking at somebody who would have probably have been like a brother to him at one point, and now he was sort of the exiled, the, the exiled guy who'd killed an Egyptian. Everybody knew the truth about him, and he's got to go back to that guy and say, "Oh, by the way, my God, saying let my people go." That would have been an unnerving message. I, I, I get his hesitation. Now, wait a minute, I, I, I'm not a, I, I don't speak elegantly. I, I, I mean, I, I, you know, he probably, if he didn't stutter before, that might have been when he started. I don't know. He, <laughs> I don't know. But Isaiah, just like these other guys, were given a message that he knew. He knew was not going to be accepted. He, he, but he just, how do you ignore that order to go? after you had just experienced what he experienced and saw what he saw, you know, obviously he, he, was, he, he had a relationship with God and was tight with God before this happened. But how could you stand in the presence of the Most High and then him give you marching orders and you say no? You know, so he was kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place. Especially knowing that he knew he was taking it to a, to a place where it was going to be unpopular. How about, what if God had told you to go, go into the casinos and at, at Las Vegas and preach, repent for the kingdom of God's at hand? Would you, would you be crazy about that idea? I, I probably wouldn't. I probably wouldn't. What about... Let's, let's go something really crazy. You got a satanic church in your 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 your. Actually, and there are satanic churches in this, this area. What if they tell you, "Hey, show God told you show up in this church that worships the devil and tell them, I love you. Come to me." I'd be like, "Lord, you got to. Did you fall and bump your head? You know that that that's. But that's kind of 
That's kind of what Isaiah was against. He, he wasn't telling them to go to a church of Satan, but he was, he, was telling, he was telling them to go to a people who were ignoring God. Even though there was a long history with God in this group of people long before Isaiah came along. You know, and I've said a hundred times, and I mean, I would have squished these folks. If I was all-powerful, and I had the ability just to even wipe out the fact that they ever existed, I probably would have done it long before we even got to Isaiah. Moses, Moses at, at the mount, that, that, would have been, that would have been it for me. I, I mean, that would have just been... So God is that patient. So reread Isaiah 6-3 and jot down the meaning, Holy Lord and glory. What do these words say about the one who calls us to himself? Well, we don't, don't necessarily have to write these down, but, but Isaiah 6-3. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. What, so so what, is this, what is this saying? Again, holy. What, what is holy? We've talked about this. When they were saying God is holy, 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 what are the seraphim saying? What's it mean to be holy? Without sin? Absolutely. That's a huge component to it. I mean, there's a, there's a nice little theological definition that gets into the absence of human iniquity, sickness, and sin. But that's the key thing, I, I think, especially in this passage, because he was talking about reaching out to a people engaged in sin. God is absolutely without sin. He's never made a mistake. He's never broken his own rules. You know, when, when, when he says, don't bear false witness, God's never lied. Ever, ever has God ever lied. If he did, he would stop being God because he wouldn't be holy anymore. Is there any of us who hasn't lied? If, if you're saying that you haven't lied, you just lied. You just did. So holy, holy, holy. So he's saying, so the seraphim are saying, this is a God who's never done anything wrong ever. This is a God who is complete in himself. This is a God who needs nothing. This is a God who has no sickness. He has no infirmity. He has no errors. He has no mistakes. He has no nothing. God is absolute perfection. By, by anybody's definition. So holy, holy, holy. Lord, what does that mean? Holy, 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 he's the Lord. Is the, is the Lord someone who oversees us? And There's more to being a Lord than just being a boss. Yeah, he's our boss. I have no problem having a boss like God. The... the but the Lord also is a protector. You know, you look at the, the medieval lords. You know, of course, they, they did things that they shouldn't have. I mean, they, they, they basically enslaved people and everything else. But they also protected them. If they, as long as you were on their land, you know, they made sure you were safe. You know, so a lord is someone who not only guides us and instructs us, but he also protects us. So the absolute perfect God is the one who oversees us, guides us, directs us, 
and protects us. What's the deal with this glory thing? What's the glory say about... Glory for me is a hard word to define. You know, we can, I'm sure we could look up a nice little, little web. In fact, let's do that. What, what, what would the dictionary say glory is? Glory defined. It's saying that it's, it's high renown or honor won by notable achievements magnificence, or great beauty. Actually, I like that definition. Do you think that the, the, the glory that, 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 that the seraphim was, 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 was talking about, do you think God is, is worthy and, and, and his, he deserves honor based on notable achievements? I'd say the creation of the, the universe is a notable achievement. <laughs> Think about this in Genesis. God said, let there be light. In what? There was light. That's a notable achievement. You know, he, he said, let there be a, a separation of the land and the water. And there was a separation. We had land and water. Let there be birds in the airs, fish in the seas. I and mean, it happened. So you can't even get past the first chapter of Genesis without seeing a God who's done notable things, notable achievements. That just blows me away. Blows me away. What was that other part? I need my glasses. I hate Magnificent or great beauty. I can't, I can't even wrap my head... You know, in this passage, in, in, in this very same passage in Isaiah, we see how the train of his robe filled, filled the whole room. I mean, I can't even wrap my head around the beauty of God. Because I've seen some really beautiful things in earth, on this earth. I've, I've only seen Grand Canyon pictures. But the uh, my, that was one of the things on Mom's bucket list. And I got to see her, these... So I got to see more than just the, the standard, you know, one shot that you see. On. That whole area was, is amazing. You know, that, I kind of want to see it now. And again, the ocean, oh my goodness. There's nothing like being on the beach at night. Just feeling, feeling the breeze come in and see the, a full moon shining across the water. Beautiful. Absolutely Beautiful. Peak season around here when the leaves are changing. We're down Jekyll Island, Georgia. That's another place Mom and I went every spring. We'd go to Jekyll Island, and the, 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 the soil was really acidic, so there was azaleas everywhere. And there were like these super, super deep pinks and deep reds. I mean, they're just not like anything I've ever even seen around here. I mean, we got azaleas, but I mean, it's, it's, it's like the soil there is just, just made for azaleas. They don't, they don't have to buy holly tone to try to recreate that. It's just the way it is down there. I've seen beauty in this earth. It blows me away. But this is still just basically a painting of God's. It's basically a thought of God's. You know, even his thinking is that beautiful to create stuff like this. 
But I can't imagine. Look at the imagery in, in Revelation. You know, can you just picture there being like this cool throne and, and lightning and thunder and, and a glassy sea? And I was like, I can't, even, I can't wrap my head around that. You, you know, and, and, and someday in our resurrection bodies, because we, we've seen, we've seen in Jesus, our, rex, our resurrection bodies have different capabilities. You, you know, Jesus would poof here, poof there, you, you know, all these different things. The most important part of our resurrection bodies is we will be able to stand in the presence of God and not get zapped like, like, like a bug on, a, on one of those lights. So there's going to be a day that we're going to be able to stand at that throne, at that glassy sea, with all that, that fancy lightning and thunder going on, and look at the face of the Father. Can you wrap your head around it? I can't even, I, I think if you could take all of my imagination and, and just put it on one little thing, I could not begin to imagine what that's going to be like. I can't wrap my head around it. You know, I can't even wrap my head around all the beauty in the earth. Can you imagine what heaven's going to be like? Think about it. I, I'm one of these guys, because of the Hebrew word yom, I think the world was literally created in six literal days, not, not ages. I mean, that's a debate we, we could have for forever. But, but this Sam right, yom, that Hebrew word yom, a day. And look at the wording in Genesis. You, you, you know, the, the morning would come and there would be an evening. You know, so so this, this doesn't to me even look like markings of, of, of ages. It's markings of days. And here's the thing. I don't even know why he picked six days. He could have just said, you know, let it all be done in, a, in an instant. And poof, it would have been done in an instant. But, but, but regardless, you see what he did in six days. You realize it's been, it's been almost 2,000 years since Christ left. When he ascended into the heavens and said, I'm going to come back. You know, we're thinking somewhere, I hold to the 33 AD, you know, is the crucifixion. You know, we see some, some wiggle room amongst people that think they're super smart, where it kind of puts it in different places in the 30s. But 33 AD is kind of where I hang out. So we're only roughly 10 years away, if I'm right, we're only 10 years away from, you know, the 2,000 year mark of the ascension of Christ. What did Jesus say? I'm going away. I'm going to prepare a place for you. He did this in six days. He's been working on that for almost 2,000 years at least that we know of. Can you picture what that's going to be like? I mean, golden, we see golden streets. You know, we see, I, I can't even imagine the colors. I wonder if there's going to be unicorns there. That would make my, that would make my granddaughter really happy. If she got there and there was a unicorn in heaven, you know, that, you know who knows? <laughs> but I can't imagine this really, really cool thing. But when I think about the glory, the, the beauty and the noteworthiness of, of God, I, I mean, it's just, you, you can't wrap your head around that. You just can't. You know, Jesus even talked about, you know, I have to explain you, you know, I have to explain things to you and, in earthly ways, because you wouldn't get it if, if I talked about it in in in, in more real, in more heavenly realistic ways. So even so, Jesus got that you know. Oh, oh my goodness, you, you know it's too much for you to comprehend. 
I have to give it, to, I got to spoon feed it to you. There's going to be a day, there's going to be no spoon feeding the glory of God. We're going to get to see it. Think about Moses. Moses, like, I want to see your glory. So what, so what even happened? We, we see angels still shielding him. And he didn't even see the face of the Father. He just got to see kind of the passing, the backside with the angels shielding him. And what do we see? What happened? It's like hair turned white and he glowed. You know, they talked about him having to wear a veil. You know, some scholars, and, and I kind of almost believe this. This is kind of, he probably had to wear the veil because he was so shiny. He was probably like, would have like freaked them out. You know, he's probably trying, just being, just being in the past by presence of the Lord with angels shielding him, he was still like brilliant. I had a youth pastor one time, Bethel, John Holmes, just to make a point to his kids, he bleached his hair blonde after talking about Moses. You gotta love youth pastors. You really, really do. I wouldn't do it, but he didn't think twice about it. Number three, it says, how do, the, how do those words impact the way you view God? How does being in a relationship with the one who those words describe impact the things you fear? So, so knowing all this stuff about God, but how does that impact your view of God? Do you think that maybe there's nothing impossible for him? Do you think that maybe there's nothing that he can't handle? In context of our fears, is there anything that we fear that he's not bigger than? The Veggie Tales. I love the Veggie Tales. I did, youth, I did children's ministry. Veggie Tales was my very favorite thing in the world. And to be honest, the kids grew up and I still bought Veggie Tales because I liked them myself. But they had a song, God is bigger than the boogeyman. God is bigger than the boogeyman. And I love that song, and he is. Whatever the boogeyman is in your, that's in your life, we all got boogeymen. They're different shapes, different forms, different things. But the God whose glory fills the room and whose voice shakes the foundations He's bigger than what that thing is you fear. He's bigger than that thing that I fear. And how does being in a relationship with him impact the things you fear? How does a relationship with God impact the way you view fear or the things you fear? How does it impact it? Perfect example. It was just, just. Uh huh. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. But the next morning, I feel like I have a 
that point would be still investigating. Yeah, fully. You know, sounds at night is it's, it is big. I, there are two officers where I work who are convinced that Walk Hall in, in Fauquier County is haunted. And I, and I mean, I've been there at night, and it makes a lot of noises. But when I sit there, I'm sitting there thinking, you know, it's the wind. You, you know, it, it's, it just sounds like building noises to me. You, you know, buildings settle. They do all kinds of weird things. And it, that's a, it is a noisy building. You know, I get it. But I, I know two adult people who are absolutely convinced that that building is haunted. And, and you know, but what if it was? What if ghosts were real and, and, and uh, they were in there, you know, when I have a reason to fear, because greater is he who is in me than he's who in, than he's in the world. I listened to WTRM this uh-huh. week, and it was, I don't remember who it was, but they were talking about That is huge. I think that's huge too. I wonder how many, how many discoveries that, that we've gotten over the years. And this isn't a this isn't a, a religious context. It's just in general. How many discoveries in, in, in general and in, 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 in even science or or that, that we would have missed because somebody's afraid of failing at their experimentations. Oh yes. Well, absolutely. The beautiful thing about success, and this is what it's really hard for us to understand when we're when we're there's two ends. There's the beginning and there's the end here. You know, the the the, the starting what 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 God has called you to do or whatever this thing is you want to do in the end. The 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 only true failure is not doing it because of the fear of failure. And many, many people, I think, get stalled there. I wonder how many people have not heard the word of God, heard the name Jesus, because somebody was afraid to do something God called them to do, and they just didn't do it. Let me tell you what, doing God's will is scary stuff. It really, really is, because you're... You're worried about messing up because you're sitting there thinking, especially when you're doing God's work, it's just like, what you, if you mess up, you mess up like eternally. You, you know, it's, it's just like, that's, 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 a, that's a scary thing. But here's the thing about success. Every success is laid on a path or a road of failures. Every single one. Nobody succeeds the first time. You think Joe Namath would have been able to lead the, his, you know, his football team to the, to, to the Super Bowl you know, the first time he picked up a football? Absolutely not. 
You think Babe Ruth would knock him out almost every single Here's the beautiful thing. If you look at Babe Ruth's batting average, it wasn't that good. <laughs> but when he hit it, he hit it. You know, that's, so some of our greatest successes are laid on the foundations of failures. Don't be afraid to fail. To fail. You're going to fail. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. uh, but uh, you know, it, it's not fear itself, but it's overcoming fear. Absolutely. You know, I've heard of, you know, you see uh, probably every so often uh, police officers or people in general will reach into a burning car and pull some. I saw this not long ago where they broke a window and pulled this person out of a Oh, yeah. So they overcame their fear. And uh, I think God implants that. I think there's a healthy fear because if we say the fear of God, that means a reverence of His holiness, and we don't want to go against that because that's a healthy fear. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think mixed thing kind of what it is talking about. Some, a lot of times fear of rejection keeps us from telling others about Christ. Well, absolutely. It's real. And it's going to happen. And that's where you, you put yourself directly in the line of fire because you will more than likely be rejected. Jesus told us that people will hate us because of him. So when we witness, we step in the line of fire. There's a good chance. But here's the thing. He calls us to step in the line of fire. You, you know, so it's one of these things that then we have to measure the weight of our fear versus the weight of obedience. You, you, know, you know, which ones, which ones are you going to lean more towards? Fear? Because you're right, you're probably going to get rejected. Or obedience. You, you know, and that's, you talk about cops and firemen, you know, running the fires. We just hired a guy that jumped into a pond and saved some drowning kids. You know, what, the, the, you know, what makes people do that? Because they have to weigh fear versus 
consequence. And, and they have to realize that the consequence is too great to, to let the fear take control. So we have to make sure that our desire to be obedient is even greater than their fear of rejection. And, that's, and we may need to pray about that. God, help me desire to be obedient in a way that's greater than my fear. And, and I think that, that's an important thing. And, that's, and I see the time. I just want to do what, this last question real quick because it would be a, a nice starting place next week would be worthy, not worthy. This is Israel continued to rebel against God even as he continued calling them into relationship. What does that suggest about God's character? He kept calling them. They kept rejecting him. He kept calling them. What's that say about God? Patient. Very patient. He, absolutely. Absolutely. And his love's not conditional. If God's love was conditional, we'd all be in trouble. I mean, we really would be. If, if there were strings attached, we'd be in some serious trouble. And that's all part of the, the coolness of God. Do we make him mad sometimes? We do make him mad sometimes. We see the anger of God against his own people. But do you think, now let's be fair to God here for a second. When God has been angry, have we given him a reason to be angry? Every single time. You know, even my adult children. You know, my... You know, Sue will tell you that, that, that Lexi's my little princess. That's not true. But even, even my little princess, who's actually getting ready to turn 30, I'm getting so old. Even my little princess can do things that, that, that would make me angry. Does it mean that I don't love her? Absolutely not. You know, even when I get angry, I still love her. Even when I get frustrated, I still love her. That was what's so cool about the way God made us. I understand so much about my relationship with God by the parenting relationship He has given me. I get that, that, that just like when my, my kids were little, and, and they would be so happy when, when I'd get home from work. I get that that's what God is so happy when I come to him. When, you know, the, when they were little and, and they'd be like this, you know, pick me up. And Sue used to get so angry because she's like, stop carrying her. She's seven years old. No. <laughs> Actually, she probably was six or seven before I stopped carrying her. When I come to the father like that, it makes his heart happy. I, 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 I learned so much about... Our kids have a tendency, and I, when I look back, I, I did this as a teenager. You know, I would often call, you know, my best friend's mom, mom. I didn't really mean anything by it. It was just kind of... But it's like I, but I also understand that when I see... 
my kids and they and, and when they attach my name, dad, <laughs> to other people, I get jealous. <laughs> you, you know, so I get God's jealousy when we show other people the attention that he desires. This parenting relationship has taught me so much about my relationship with God. So what, it's, what do these things say about God? All these things. Unconditional, patient. This tells me that he never gives up. Never gives up. Let me, let me find Matthew here. Here we go. Okay, here's, here's the break. Here's the break in the Bible. The skinny part is the New Testament. This is the life of Christ and some really cool people like the apostles explaining the law to us through the lens of Christ. What is this fat part? God never giving up when he probably should have by, by any human standard. This whole Old Testament, that's why I love it so much. My buddy Dan calls me Old Testament guy. because I love the Old Testament. The Old Testament, the whole thing, not only is a, a, a beacon or a pointy finger to Messiah, it's about a God who never gives up when he probably, by all human standards, should have. So God keep calling, even when we keep rejecting. It speaks volumes about him. It speaks volumes about him. Alrighty, so next week. Next week we'll pick up where we left off. Let's pray. And hopefully you've got time to still eat a few donuts. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. God, I just thank you for calling us. Lord, I just want to thank you for, for being faithful when we are not faithful. God, I thank you for being loving when we're unloving, for being kind when we're unkind, for being patient when we're impatient. God, I just, I do look forward to that day. I look forward to that day when I get to see you face to face. All these things that I try to imagine about what you look like or the coolness of, of, of your, your throne and your surroundings. I look forward to a day when I get to see it. And I thank you, Jesus, that because of you, I get to see it. That's something to be excited about. Because of Jesus, because of you, Jesus, I will stand in a resurrection body capable of being in the physical Shekinah presence of my Father and look Him square in the face. Can't wait. God, we love You, we praise You, we adore You, and we just want to continue to honor You as service goes on. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.